Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people from around the world and today I'm jet setting off to the beautiful island of Sri Lanka and I have a brilliant guest with me today. I have got uh, Vidusha Nathavathirana um, who is a leadership uh, trainer, he's an author, he's a founder of a company called Luminary Learning Solutions which is a soft skills and leadership uh, development company but it's way, way more than that. We've had some incredible conversations over the past uh, when I've been on his show. Uh, and today, just before we've uh, logged on, we also had an incredible conversation, which we're going to touch upon in this uh, particular episode. So, Vidusha, welcome to the show. I hope that the weather is there is beautiful. I can see that it looks gorgeous. We've got a bit of sun come out here in the UK. We celebrate every time the sun comes out. Uh, and then, of course, the rain follows. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you very much for having me. And it's an absolute joy. The sun is out. When the rains come, the first couple of days of rain, we enjoy it. And then I must admit, it becomes a bit much. <laughs> so, yes. Well, of course, you've, you've lived in the UK previously, haven't you? So you know what the UK weather is like. And I think you'll still say that Sri Lankan weather is much better than the UK weather. Yeah. Well, I have a theory on that since, since I was there. So I came to the UK when I was about 19 years old to pursue my bachelor's. And I think the first year was particularly bleak. Um, mm. Even the summer didn't last too long. And I still remember going to campus um, and in the middle of a cross-cultural management lecture, I, I blurted out saying, so I think I have it. I I really do know why the Brits actually went and conquered the world. They came looking for fun. <laughs> they weren't really looking for spoils. They just had enough of dreary weather. And I still remember the entire class bursting out laughing. <laughs> but, but yes, but, but truth be told, you, I know you wouldn't necessarily believe me when I say it this way. I honestly love the downcast cloudy, slightly drizzling weather. There's something utterly romantic about it. And believe it or not, I've always, always loved the little nooks um, that London has. And it's been wonderful. One particular place in, in, um, in, in my mind was, was the place called Folio Society, which actually makes um, books the old-fashioned way. They print it the old-fashioned way and they actually bind it the old-fashioned way. And places like that, in British weather, there is some, there's just something about it. So I must admit, I really, really enjoyed the British weather while it lasted. <laughs> Both my parents thought I was absolutely nuts. But, but yeah, I must admit I enjoyed it. I think, you know, um, there is something about the British uh, mentality in terms of the way that we view those warmer countries in ourselves. 
uh, and we sort of longingly wait for that time that we can actually jet off to a warmer climb somewhere. Uh, talking about Sri Lanka, though, um, uh, I'm, I'm acutely aware that Sri Lanka has been through incredible upheaval over the last uh, several years. Do you want to just explain sort of what's been going on in Sri Lanka and how that's affected uh, your the take on leadership, if you like, in Sri Lanka? Let me let me try and put this into context and not necessarily make it just political. Um, see, I think Sri Lanka has been. And, and probably Sri Lanka isn't alone in this. Maybe it is the same with other parts of the world, and I can't speak for it. But having lived in Sri Lanka pretty much all my life, apart from a couple of years when I was doing my studies, I think successive governments have, A, blatantly lied to people, B, um, not acted in their best interest, and C, I think genuinely exploited their positions of power for personal reasons. I think those three have happened successively. And I don't think we should single out a particular party or a particular individual. This has been a malady that has plagued our country. Yeah. Well, certainly as long as I've been alive. What it does, yeah. I think, especially for the citizenry that remains inside the country for whatever reason, many have left. Ever since the, the fiasco of the economic collapsing started and we, uh, our fuel was restricted, we, we went through something like 12 hours of power cuts every day. It started out with wow. a couple of hours. It went on to five or six hours. Then it went on to eight to 10 hours. And then it became 12 hours. And that's when people went into the streets en masse. The protest started as silent protest. Um, okay. Sri Lanka, that, that much must be also said. When we talk of protests, and um, we did, technically speaking, overthrow the previous president, but I think that was probably one of the most, how should I put this, certainly after uh, Gandhi in India, this was probably the most peaceful movement that deposed of a, a, a leadership regime in the world. Because people went into the streets en masse, okay. nobody actually... Um, violated any protocols. They stayed there. There was a couple of clashes. There were isolated incidents, no doubt. But by and large, even those were politically motivated than the actual yeah. people who turned up on the streets. Now, what it has done ever since then, certainly it came into a head during that entire episode and we called it the Aragale or the fight. Um, and ever since then, we really don't know as a citizenry who to believe. Because everyone seems to be lying. Media takes an angle on it. Politicians take an angle on it. Business communities take an angle on it. And the average human being who is trying to make a living honestly wouldn't really know what to believe and who to believe. And that is a really dangerous place to be. I find this fascinating, Vidusha. And if we were to correlate that to an organizational environment... It teaches us a few things. Um, one is that transparency is critical. If you want to build trust in your organization, you have to have transparency in your communication. Uh, and there is something also around um, if the organization is not uh, felt to be a psychologically safe environment, then people in the current climate that we've seen over the last few years, people are more likely to leave your organization. So let's just sort of go from the the national 
picture, the political picture, right down to an organizational context and try and correlate the two. So one of the things that you're saying there is that people are now left confused. There's a mistrust in the government, i.e. a mistrust in the leadership. And also you said something interesting around how many people are opting out of uh, Sri Lanka right right at the moment. I think you mentioned something about a million people have left Sri Lanka. Do you want to just uh, talk about that a bit more? Once again, the stats on this gets largely debated amongst different circles, but um, it's no lie that a large population have left. And don't forget, we only have 22 million mm. people in the country. So if you take a That's working... a significant percentage if it is a million. If it is a million, it's, it's, nearly, <laughs> it's nearly five percent of the population. And when you actually it's look incredible. at the fact that that's the to- total population is 22 million. So that's not the working population. So when you take a look at the working population, yeah. that's that's wow. quite a staggering amount. Incredible. So, so just to correlate it and also to kind of draw the parallel, I don't think it's any different, whether it is a family, whether it is a small scale organization, a large private sector organization or the government. The principle yeah. remains the same. The principle is, Absolutely. if you can't trust your leadership team, the grapevine takes over and the grapevine obviously gets exploited. Now, let's not be naive about this. Politics is a power play. And inside organizations yeah. also, politics do play a part. And I think I do still remember one of my professors uh, saying this quite quite earnestly saying that if you have three or more people working in the same space, you cannot avoid politics. But politics doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Um, Politics is a way of getting things done inside an organizational culture when you cannot get certain things done in a a process-oriented or you can't write processes for everything, you can't write policies for everything, you will have gray areas for many things. So how you wade around all of this and get things done, um, there is a certain amount of politics that gets played out. And and, and nobody's disputing that. Nobody's finding fault with that. However, the underlying principle of leadership anywhere is that you act on the best interest, on behalf of the best interest of the organization as well as the employees. Now, the delicate balance between ensuring that what is right by the organization gets done at the same time, what is right by people also gets weighed in is the balance and the test of leadership. If that wasn't required, you really don't need leadership to begin with. So what happens in an organizational setting, whether it is large or small, is when leadership isn't trusted, irrespective of whatever else, at least if trust isn't established and felt and accepted, the grapevine takes over, there is a lot of power play that happens and people get detracted from the vision and the direction of the organization. I was having a discussion about this whole concept of trust only yesterday uh, when I was uh, delivering some uh, uh, leadership development to a group of leaders at a university. And we were talking about conflict management but actually what uh, the the focus of the, the discussion came down to was the level of leadership. And in essence, what we said was, you'll have the healthiest conflict, the healthiest conflict conversations, debates, uh, sharing of views, when you have the greatest amount of trust in your organization. When you build a foundation of trust in your organization, in your community, in your family, in your country, then you'll get the very best of debates coming from that. 
because when people don't trust the environment, they are less likely to share their full view for fear of some kind of a reprisal. And if you think about what's happening, and I don't just think this is a Sri Lankan thing, I think we've seen a trend over the last maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, the development of a trend in global politics where it's very hard to disseminate or sift or uh, differentiate between the truth and untruth, between spin and accuracy. Uh, And I think the same can be said, as you've quite rightly mentioned there, in terms of global media. You listen to one story in one country uh, and you'll hear a different uh, perspective on that story if you listen to the same story in a different country. So propaganda... Um, you know, uh, and and this this teaming up with a particular particular viewpoint will always be there, and this is what we call politics with a small p. It exists in organisation, it exists in families. I love what your lecturer said. If you get a group of more two or three people together, politics will be at play. Absolutely, it's 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 in our human nature as social animals to indulge in that kind of behaviour. So. What we're seeing from the global picture around the uh, political global picture is being played out in organisations as well. And as we've seen, you know, from the example of Sri Lanka with up to a million people leaving, and this will be your working population, there'll be talented individuals. That's an incredible loss of talent, hemorrhaging of talent to the the, uh, country. But the same is happening with organisations across the world too. People who don't feel psychologically safe or valued or appreciated will up and leave and they'll go to another organisation where they do feel valued and appreciated. Um, So what do we do? What can organisations start doing or countries start doing to bridge that gap, to to prevent this hemorrhaging of talent? Before we get into that, I, I do want to make a small segue into what is meant by psychological safety because many times when I speak about it, people have this notion of psychological safety being a nice place. And I try and correct that before we proceed. Because most of the time, they picture inside their head um, where people don't have dissent, where people don't argue, you don't confront people. It's uh, It's not that at all, is it? Absolutely. It's where you feel confident and safe to be able to do that. Absolutely. So the bedrock of psychological safety is, as you said, trust. Without that, everything else just falls apart. So what can organizations do? What can countries do? Let me start with with organizations first, because bleeding of talent is happening not just because of the macro-environmental factors at play in Sri Lanka. This has been happening Mm. for some time, and that has been a growing trend. Lots of people do leave the organization, and it often has very little to do with the money. Does it matter? Absolutely. I'm not saying no. We are a we are a third world country, and 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 that few thousand rupees more makes a difference. So I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying yeah. is, it isn't the only reason, and oftentimes it isn't the overarching reason. We've got the same issue here, Vidusha. I mean, we we are seeing in the UK unprecedented um, industrial action across mainly the public sector. And the everyone seems to be hinging on the fact that it's about pay, but actually it's about pay and conditions, and the conditions are sometimes even more important. So you're absolutely right. So, but here's where we start. I think first and foremost, I'm I'm a I've I've always looked at leadership from a collective perspective. I think the bigger the biggest mistake we've made 
is to identify leadership solely as the responsibility of people in authority and power. So a CEO must have leadership. Yeah. The senior management should have leadership, but the worker population is not expected to have leadership and I think that is the fundamental issue within a country or whether it is in an organization. I yeah. think leadership should be looked upon as a collective exercise and not something in the domain of yes. only the senior management team. That's number 1. And in that context, I think one of the biggest roles we have to play as individuals is to have the courage a to either walk away or demand reform within an organization and you can and the moment i use these words you actually picture someone waving a placard and <laughs> you know going up in arms about something and i don't mean that at all <laughs> i do mean that ref- i mean you can't reform an organization from outside in it doesn't work that way yes you have yes. to be within an organization so i often tell people if you care about a country if you care about an organization you have to stay in dig your heels and find avenues to bring about reform now it might not necessarily be reform in a in a um, in the sense of the idealistic viewpoint that you have but at least you're making some headway in that direction that's progress so what is what is fundamentally important is for a group of people to certainly see it and even if you were alone to be that lone voice now here's where you need to be cautious about it and also where politics come into play and understanding politics and how it gets played is essential here unfortunately most of us who demand reform are naive in the ways of politics and therefore mm-hmm. make horrible mistakes in how we go about trying to reform organizations or bring in that change that we want So I think essentially number 1 we as individuals need to ensure that we equip ourselves with the skills and the competencies to be able to influence others effectively especially those who are senior to us and that is a skill set I think that is sorely lacking in many organizations that's one the second is to actually look at policy frameworks now one of the biggest advantages sri lanka has had throughout this turbulent time is the willingness of the judiciary to stick their necks on the necks out and kind of call it out for what it is and stand by that and they have been largely independent in how they have acted throughout this debacle and they still are so even inside organizations we do have systems and processes and frameworks in place to ensure that one person doesn't hijack the organization or a group of people don't hijack the organization public sector organized yeah. i mean uh, public quoted companies do have committees on this for governance most private sector organizations also have protocols that is put in by the government itself to safeguard yes. employees um we have well, they'll a, have a board that sits above the sits above the senior leadership team absolutely and so those need to be strengthened and at the same time we need to be strong enough to take action and i give you a, good, a simple example here I used to work for a rather large yeah. organization and I still remember on the first day of working um it, it was a, a organization that bought us over um it was an american company it was a fortune 500 company on the first day um we we were bought over by Sara Lee and Sara Lee came over for their induction and orientation of our management and executive teams we were given something called the mirror test now the mirror test was a pocket size little uh, cardboard 
which which had three simple yeah. sentences is it legal is it right what will others say now if you can't answer these three questions is it right is it legal absolutely is it right i don't know um what will others say i don't know well then seek advice and counsel before you take a decision right now yeah now if and the beautiful part about this was in the card itself was a toll free number and seralli was a rather large organization i we we had something like 200000 plus people across the globe when i left 16 17 years ago so it was a very large organization now we had a toll free number that we could call in from anywhere in the world in any language we want to and formally complain about anything that we thought was not right about the organization it could be someone breaking policies and procedures it could be about um um mis- being mistreated it could be about um something that we thought shouldn't be happening inside the organization whatever it may be now when this yeah. was rolled out most of the people inside the organization especially at management tiers actually turned around and wrote to our head office and turned around and said well you know what in sri lanka if you start doing this you will have a ton of calls and most of them will be false and head office wrote back and said well we've seen it everywhere we roll this out don't worry about it it will even out eventually but yes in the first couple of months you may be inundated with calls but don't worry about it the call center was handled by a complete third party it wasn't handled internally you could complain okay. about anything without mentioning your name or by mentioning your name that option was yours so guess what we had a whole heap of calls going out about anything and everything the citizenry of the organization felt was wrong and if it was a small enough issue hr was given the charge of doing something about it it was if it was something that they thought was significant mm-hmm. enough there was a group of people who came from another company within the fold or someone completely outside to come in and do a review now that offers transparency and that gave a lot of confidence to us to say if there was something amiss absolutely we had an opportunity to correct it so systems and processes must be strengthened that way otherwise without us taking owners of it and the system supporting it without those two fundamental pillars i honestly think it won't happen i see there's a great demonstration of an organization that is intent on uh, having a healthy culture and recognizes that in order to get to that point where you have this incredible culture where there's a a foundation of trust within the organization you have to go through the difficulties and the challenges of uh hearing things perhaps that you don't want to hear uh, and it's a demonstration also that if you're going to ask for feedback you have to create a safe environment for people to be able to give that feedback which i absolutely love with that seralli example it reminds me vidusha of a a a a book i once read that describes a similar issue in a hospital somewhere in america now hospitals uh, anywhere in the world uh, tend not to um you know admit their mistakes too freely because they're fr- frightened of litigation apparently and this hospital thought well what would happen if we if we forsaked our fear of litigation and accepted when things didn't go well uh and made a commitment to to not making that mistake again we carry out a review we open ourselves up to the public and just like the organization that you've mentioned there Sarah Lee they were in inundated uh with calls in the first month two months 
But when people started seeing that they were actively doing whatever they could to resolve the issues and prevent them from occurring again, the complaints started petering out. And actually, the hospital performance incredibly uh, improved incredibly over time. So it is a demonstration that when you take that hard action, and it is courageous, if you're going to change your culture and it is hard work, it takes courage, it takes leadership courage to do that. But on the other side of it all, you can get to this place where everyone is feeling great. You're high perform. You have high performing teams. You have high retention rates. Uh, you're not losing your talent, and and consequently, you have much more confidence from your customer base and your stakeholders. Oh, absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. In, in fact, just a quick, um, a, 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 a small side example to what you just mentioned. Um, we've had a lot of debate in Sri Lanka about return policy. Uh, especially for clothing and, and, and conventional wisdom was that if you allowed people to return something, they would actually return it and, and abuse the system. But yeah. believe it or not, every, everyone who's tried it tells us, yes, there are, you can't be naive about this. There will be people who abuse yeah. the system for sure. But the vast majority of people won't. And the way you circumvent it is to take out the exceptions to the rule and act on those separately rather than yeah. making it the rule to tell that people are bad or that people will abuse the system because yeah. the vast majority of people won't. So whenever companies have given us that opportunity yes. as a retailer, we found that there is a deep sense of loyalty that gets built around that brand. And it's very strange that actually what happens is the people who abuse it actually doesn't even become customers in the long term so there's a double benefit yes it's only people Absolutely that right. <laughs> there's a there's another company video that uh, i have seen having exactly the same experience uh, and you may have some of these in sri lanka they are global now it's costco uh, so costco is a uh, it's, it's a bulk trade kind of store uh, originating from america i think uh, and we have them all over the uk it's a membership only um, uh, uh, store so you go in, you can buy anything from the biggest television through to your groceries, but everything is bought in bulk. Now, they have this incredible uh, returns policy that, you know, if, if you buy a television a year later, if you don't like that television for any reason, you take it back and you can either get your money back or you get another television. And of course, some people do abuse it, but those people, by and large, are in a tiny, tiny minority because a vast majority of people don't think like that the vast majority of people are looking for somewhere where they feel again psychologically safe valued and appreciated all these kind of things and consequently what costco see is that they've got an increase in membership because the reviews around costco are really really good people say it's a great store they have these returns policy they look after you as a as a customer etc 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 and consequently that trust that costco has now built with their base has delivered a return on investment by increasing their membership base uh, uh, tenfold over years. And here's the other thing. I think what is really interesting to see in all of this is that there's an upward spiral and a downward spiral. The downward spiral is almost always yeah. started out by fear. Fear of losing face. Mm. Fear of people thinking that you're not really worthy of the title you hold the fear of people abusing it, the fear of 
um, not being able to get something done because now people have taken you for granted. All of these is down to fear. And what you find is that once you start on that road, it's it's a slippery slope. And, 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 and before you know it, you have intimidation, you have all the dirty politics that gets played out and so on and so forth. And the culture becomes toxic because all you're trying to do is to make sure that mm-hmm. you control people whichever way you possibly can. On the other hand, there is an upward spiral. And that starts with what I would call, and, and forgive me for saying it, I'm just using the term very loosely, not from a religious perspective or from a spiritual perspective. But I call it enlightened leadership. You have to be self-assured. And you have to be able to place trust before you get trust. And you must be okay about being abused in the process. And it shouldn't matter to you. Now, if you're self-assured, you will weigh those circumstances. You're not naive about it. You're not stupid about it. You see it for what it is. But you're still willing to give it a shot and give the benefit of the doubt to the person or the organization. When that happens, there is an upward spiral. It does take a little bit of time for it to gather momentum. But it does gather momentum every single time I've observed it. And when it does, it's unstoppable because the rest of the people and the rest of the organization actually makes sure they weed out the people who don't fit in, who will abuse the system on your behalf because they don't want to lose out on what they currently have. So what happens is it starts with an enlightened leader, but it ends up having an enlightened culture which has a natural way of sifting through who fits in and who doesn't. And you achieve that, the rest takes care of itself. Lovely way to round up the discussion. And, you know, in essence, what we're talking about here is the leadership shadow and and how you stand up and, and, and perform as a leader will have an impact across the organization. That can be a good impact or it can be a bad impact. And whether it's your organization, your family, your community, your group or your country, I think it's a lesson uh, uh, and an observation and a piece of wisdom that all leaders should listen to. Vidusha, I want to say thank you for joining us all the way from Sri Lanka today. Really have enjoyed our discussion and thank you for your wisdom. Not at all. Thank you very, very much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.